Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Skewer Podcast. It's our second birthday. We've been doing this shit for two years, 24 shows now. Uh, and I am super honored that this show has lasted this long and has had so many great writers and so many great people like listen to it, come to it, support it. It, it means a lot. Uh, we are, of course, a live monthly satirical news review making fun of the news of the previous month through hilarious op-ed debate and more. And this particular show was recorded at Chicago's Cafe Mustache on November 1st, 2017. Oh, I hope you like it. I sure did. Anyway, before we get the show started, yo, who wants to play a fun game just before the show starts? Who likes games? Anyone like games? Yeah! That's... That's enough. Sure. That's a yes. I'll take it. Uh, I am not going to host the game because I hate fun. I'm terrible. So I'm going to bring up Kevin Johnson to the stage. You're going to host a little game. Uh, I wish this party favor I had made some noise, but you know. Uh, It, it, the point got across. Kevin, what kind of game are we playing? What game do you play? Uh, it's a news game where you find the truth in all the lies. Because the world is nothing but lies now. You know, usually we, you, you like ask the audience who the contestant should be. But I think that we should have, at least for the first round, Skewer co-founder Eric Ruel in from Detroit. Would you like to play a game? Yes. Hello. Good what is your you. name? My name is Eric Ruel. Yay! Yay! I'm a guy. I mean, nobody clapped during my name, but that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's okay. Hello. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a simple game. It's like two truths and a lie, and then we're going to do that like three times, and uh, hopefully you do well. And if you do well, or if you do poorly, you'll go home with a nice skewer sticker. Oh, very nice. And so you can rep the brand that you made, <laughs> I, I guess. It's been, it's been two years. It's been yeah, a long it's been time. A, Maybe you while. forgot what the logo looks like. Or yeah. Something. yeah, we're still at the skewer, right? This is the skewer? Yeah. The, we're actually the, the at Cafe Mustache. Okay, anyway. Story one. A man was fined under new Austrian anti burka law for wearing a full-body shark costume. Okay. That's number one. Number two. Trump is soon signing an executive order to remove the NFL's nonprofit status mm-hmm. in retaliation for all the protests. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, restaurant on Chicago's Belmont Avenue, you know that place, yeah. uh, closed a mere five days after its grand opening. Oh, damn. Uh, I'm going to go with number one as being the false headline. No, that actually happened. Really? It did. I was thrown off because you couldn't pronounce Berkala. Berka la is what I meant oh. to say. Oh. Oh, that would have changed things. I'm no, sure. it wouldn't have. No. No. no, no, no. You can't just come in here from Detroit and be like, oh, things would have been different right. if they were different. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Uh, so, yeah, the NFL actually lost that status in 2015. Yeah. Oh. Cool. Okay. They're no longer a nonprofit. They were just ever a, a nonprofit? Yes, they were since like I think the sixties or something. I don't know. Uh, all right, set two. Set two. I'll try to pronounce better. Thanks. Um, first story: A man aged ninety-two 
wins the lottery for $25,000 a year for the rest of his life. Uh, Second story. In a case of life finally making some fucking sense... That's part of the headline? I I altered a little bit. I altered. Gotcha. Gotcha. Paraphrase. Uh, Larry David is revealed as a distant cousin to Bernie Sanders. (laughs) Story three. Japan won the first giant robot battle against the United States of America. Uh, Because anime is good for something. God, you know, all of these are super difficult. Um, I'm going to go with number three. The robot battle? Yeah. That did actually happen. However... The U.S. won. So you are correct. Oh. Oh. We're number one. Okay. For your third set of stories. A group of women who travel to receive plastic surgery are told that they cannot fly home because they do not look like their passports. Uh, number two. Taco Bell made pants made from its sauce packets. It's got the various quotes on them. You know how they do. Yeah. It includes a taco-shaped pocket, an easy-access ass flap for when the food destroys your body from the inside out. God, I hope that's true. Number three, Fox News brands Radiohead as the poor man's Coldplay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I heard three happened. I believe three happened. I, I really just like saying it. So, it's so It doesn't make any sense, but I love saying it. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. So I'll go with the... Uh, the Plastic surgery one? That happened. Well, sorry, sorry, sorry. Wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, no, I did that. I, I, was, so, I was so in these lines. But yes, that did actually happen. Okay. The Taco Bell one yeah. does not exist. Uh, I was... Pizza Hut made a jacket uh, out of its delivery bag. Not as good. It, features, good. it features a, a pizza pocket. Just in case you need to get on the run. Yeah. There you go. Sure. Well, thank Same. you for being up here, Eric. Gonna for the people in the audio, I shook his hands, and we have given him a sticker. I'm playing, I've been playing a lot of Mario Odyssey lately, so I just every time I get something, I Yahoo! <laughs> He's done it. Well, I'm gonna welcome back up to the stage, Mr. Tom Harrison. Let's start off the show. Oh, guys! Oh, it's it's the skewer. Come on, I want I want some I want something. Oh man, if you, may, if, you, if you have noticed from the uh, party hats, cakes, and general tenor of, of wonder, it's our second birthday! Yeah! Uh, who, here, who here is at the skewer for the very first time? Okay, so we got a, lot, we got a very loyal audience, but... <laughs> <laughs> Congrats to the new people. I'm pretty sure like half of them are reading tonight. <laughs> oh, goodness. But uh, yeah, I'm Tom Harrison, as most of you know. I'm the host of The Skewer, except uh, on every third month when Erica hosts. Uh, and we do a lot of fun shit here. We do a lot of op-eds. We do a fun debate. And also, I start off the show with a uh, with the opener. This is going to be a real loose and weird one, so <laughs> strap in. Uh, so for a lot of this month, and this happens most months, but I'm just at a loss over what my focus is going to be. There's just so much shit. 
But after the events of the last week, I think the focus became clear. Yeah, uh, there was a real earth shaker that defined not only the month, but if it continues as it may, uh, it has the potential to rewrite the entire tenor of the year. You all know what it is. I feel silly having to go through the formality of saying it out loud. Uh, come on, guys, what, let's hear it. What is it? No, it's Hillary and the DNC colluding with Russia. Idiots. No? Okay. I see how it is. You've all been cucked by the dishonest, dishonest fake news media and don't see the truth right in front of your damn eyes that Hillary and the DNC paid Russia to gather information on Trump that they, A, didn't talk about during the campaign and still haven't released publicly, uh, that, B, made them lose, and C, was against the candidate that Russia uh, wanted to win. I'm, what I'm saying is it's open and shut. Hillary's done, prison bound. Open your eyes, sheeple. Don't just accept their narrative. Study it out. What about the uranium? You know. I'm just kidding, of course. Happy Indictment Day, everybody. Yes. Can I make this go? There we go. I'm tall boy. Yeah, Bob Mueller has indicted Paul Manafort and revealed that aide George Papadopoulos has pled guilty to lying to the FBI about Russian collusion. As someone who is 100% convinced that Trump will be president for life, uh, either by not having elections anymore or by just dying, which, like, mm. Like, can you imagine if Trump and Pence both, like, died next week of, like, typhus? It, it has to be something real old-timey so they don't become, like, martyrs. If it was like, oh, wouldn't you know it, Trump and Pence just died of prostate cancer. Everyone would be like, oh, what a tragedy. This just goes to show how much we need prostate cancer research. Then they'd open up the Trump-Pence Memorial Prostate Cancer Research Institute, and I'd be like, fuck, they're right. Prostate cancer is bad. But if it was like, oh, wouldn't you believe it, uh, Trump and Pence died of, like, cholera. You'd just be like, oh, woof, woof. I guess. I guess. Anyway. So I believe he's going to be president for life 100%. So I was trying to keep my hopes down as far as possible on that weekend that we knew it was coming, but we didn't know who. Uh, I was just assuming they'd indict, like, Gorka for showing, for showing his dick on Omegle. Uh, or, like, Carter Page for being too good a friend. But holy shit, guys, like, it was actually great. I, I don't want to feel too good. Because I have to stay vigilant. But, like, Paul Manafort, the crime enjoyer, is in custody. Incredible. And I was going to do a joke uh, where I would, like, pretend, like, oh, they found his secret Twitter. Like, you know how Comey had one? And the candle was going to be Love's Bribes 6969. But then they revealed that his real email password is Bond007. Which is way dumber. 
Also, George Papadopoulos, the huge dunce who flipped like a goddamned griddle cake, he went to DePaul at the same time as me. I don't want to speak ill of my alma mater, but uh, in my capstone class for my English major, the class that was supposed to encapsulate the entirety of my education, uh, I was required to read Manga Hamlet. So let's just say that I am, I am not shocked that my compatriots are capable of such bumbling ineptitude. I once was in a DePaul film class where a dude's take that he volunteered, his take on the semiotics of the 1928 Carl Dreyer film The Passion of Joan of Arc was, no fucking joke, quote, it was cool, the movie was in black and white. (laughs) That guy wasn't George Papadopoulos. But he could have been. (laughs) And what a gift Georgie is, because you can spin the Manafort thing like, oh, that's just Paul. He loves crime. He does crime all the time. But it's on his own time. It's, it's, It's recreational crime. But then Georgie, my man, is like, oh, by the way, we colluded like a a fucking ton. I admit it. Would you remember when Donald Trump did the exact same thing on Twitter? Like, is he next? Like, I'm almost hopeful. This is weird to me. And while I'm tempted to feel giddy, uh, it's right to keep your hopes low because, guys, the world is bad. Don't forget. Case in point, and I hate to go back to this trope of just, like, saying a news story without a joke and being like, remember that? You probably don't, right? Isn't that crazy? Uh, but, like, guys, 550 people got shot by one dude in Las Vegas this month, and it's like, smoke in the wind. Like, that's like one-sixth of a 9-11. 550 people. And it was ushered out of the news cycle like the guy at Starbucks asking you about Jesus. <laughs> and, like, straight up, I can't even blame the media 100% for this, because, like, when I heard about it, And I'm ashamed to say this, but my reaction was like, yeah, it's about time for one of these. Like, it's at the point where where a mass shooting is like the tide coming in. It's like, yeah, dummy, it's due. And as depressing as that is, there is one bright side about how small a blip this was. At least we're not mythologizing the shooter. That wasn't so much a joke as me, like, pouring cold syrup over your heads. Uh, But let's move on. Even if indictment day does oust Trump, even if they keep coming and he's like gone next week and it's better than we could have imagined, the GOP is still evil to the core. We didn't win. When asked about the indictments, Paul Ryan said that nothing would stop them from cutting taxes. Like Trump is scary and he's loud and I get it, but his his policies aren't new and they're not leaving with him. Consider that Jeff Flake and Bob Corker, the principled conservatives, who spoke out against him to such breathless praise from the libs, literally only criticized Trump for being rude. Like, bitch, I don't give a fuck about rude. I tweet, fuck you, resign, bitch, to Donald Trump every day. Rudeness is not my issue here. 
But maybe I shouldn't be so cynical. Yeah, bad shit happens, but sometimes justice prevails. This month, a teenaged detained Jane Doe was allowed to have an abortion despite the country's insane hatred for women and people of color. Donald Trump forced his Secretary of State Rex Tillerson to hold an emergency press conference to tell everyone that Trump wasn't a moron, which Tillerson didn't even do. <laughs> they were like, did you call Trump a moron? He's like, I do not want to comment on that. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, and I know that that's meaningless, but like it brings light to my life. Uh, and Whitefish Energy, uh, formerly known as Big Roscoe's Graft Shack, had their insanely corrupt Puerto Rico reconstruction contract canceled. And Roger Stone got banned from Twitter for harassment, an event so rare it's like seeing 10 shooting stars at once. <laughs> oh, and the best one, of course. This one's the best. You may remember that last month I delivered a masterful and extremely good debate performance <laughs> in which I argued that NFL players should wear American flag underpants on the outside. If you were unfortunate enough to miss that hilarious performance, the gist was that uh, Trump would see the underpants, he would see the shape of them, uh, and he would assume that they were diapers. The joke being, get this, that Trump wears diapers. <laughs> Obviously, I'm the nation's foremost political satirist. <laughs> But one of the points I made was that if Trump publicly admits that he wears diapers, we will be given the great gift of seeing all of his alt-right Nazi youth friends defiantly wearing diapers out of spite, <laughs> believing it's going to own the libs. And if you are familiar with the demonstration put on this month by far-right group Turning Point USA at Kent State University, you will no doubt notice that I called it, Rich! <laughs> They had diapies on. <laughs> Guys, they, wore th they put on their diapies and laid down on the ground in play pens and had whittle binkies and ba-ba's in their mouths going like, can I have a whittle fascism? Can Daddy, can I have an ethnostate please? I, I love how uncomfortable everyone is. <laughs> They did it on purpose. No one made them do it. Guys, I called it. I did the impossible. In a satire-proof world, I outpaced the absurdity of reality, and by doing so, I made it happen. It was me. You're welcome. But no good comes without sacrifice, and I've paid my share. Another joke I wanted to do Last month was to produce a pair of American flag underpants from my pocket, put them on over my pants as I was arguing, uh, to show everyone that it was cool. But uh, they didn't arrive in time. My, my Amazon guaranteed delivery date came and went, and I was left with nothing. Yeah. I papered over that. By, I like made some jokes about Amazon. They're easy. Uh, I figured I'd get the underpants the next day and be like, look at this. Eh. Uh, that didn't happen. Instead, about a week after the skewer, my doorbell rings. Now, this is very unusual because I am a shut-in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I check, I check to see that it's not like a guy in a tie from Constellation Energy who wants to see my ComEd bill, uh, and I open the door. <laughs> it's a woman, she looks about 35 years old, a bit older than me, looking like a woman who like, uh, like owns a house and has a job they feel good about and stuff. <laughs> like a real adult, like I'm, like I'm like a huge kid, but like a real adult. Yeah. Uh, and she's looking at me with like a look. It's like it's hard to explain. It's 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 like a look, like okay, it's this guy. Let's strap in. <laughs> and hey, buds, I'm insanely self-conscious, so this is already going great. She asks if I'm Tom Harrison. I say that I am. She sh- she says that she lives on the 2300 block of Drake Avenue. Uh, for reference, if you don't know. That is over a mile from my house. Some of you may be putting the pieces together already here. At the time, I was just like, huh, weird that you've come so far and know my name. Continue. Uh, She says, so I found a package of yours, uh, and I'm just like, fuck! Oh, no! No! need this to end as soon as possible and never see this person again. I'm doing this all internally, of course. In reality, I'm just like, oh, you did? Fun! My brain is now on fire, uh, and I'm just hoping that what happened, just like, please tell me that, like, the delivery person just read it wrong and delivered an intact package to the wrong address, and now she's bringing it to me. Uh, nope. She explains that she found it on the ground near her yard. She explains that the package was torn open and um, I, had, I had to deliver it the way she did. Uh, the package was torn open and it was lying nearby. <laughs> I'm like, ah, thank you for saying it. Please do not have chosen to say it, but instead just not have looked at it so you couldn't say anything but it. (laughs) She continues. I guess someone must have stolen it and been disappointed with what was inside. (laughs) I can't imagine why. (laughs) And I'm just praying, praying that somehow the... um, payload was hidden enough like it was in like a it was in like a box or something that she could find it put it back in the packaging without her seeing what it was then she handed me this and folks that's when my day turned from bad to real bad my friends uh, before I get into what's in this I gotta tell you that I'm intensely afraid of making people uncomfortable or offending them. Uh, I take pains to never be publicly horny, even in the slightest. (laughs) When I first kissed the woman who is now my fiance, I asked explicitly for permission more than twice. Before I was like, yeah, this is probably fine. And literally all this woman knows about me 
is this. I took the bag from her. She laughed, but it had like a patina. Like, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And she said, so better watch out. It looks like you have some package thieves. And I go, yeah, too bad. Well, thanks. And shut that door. Friends, you see here a very flimsy bag, extremely crumpled, torn the fuck open, as open as it gets. If something is lying nearby this, it is uncovered as shit. There is no fucking possible... uh, There's a leaf in here. Look at that. There's no cover whatsoever. Unless, see, maybe, what, is it opaque? What's in here? Oh, no, it's not opaque. It's not opaque whatsoever. It's a little bit translucent, but you can see there is an American flag in here. I was looking at this right away, and I'm like, okay, thank God. There's a little bit of cover. Maybe she thinks it's like socks, you know? <laughs> Could be socks. And then I realized, well, if I saw something like this, if I picked up a mystery package, I would, like, read the words on it, right? <laughs> I definitely would. So what are they? One fit, men's USA, American flag, stars. Okay, pretty good so far. Um, Hot body boxer swimsuit. (laughs) All right. Let's continue. Read Read some of this copy. We got two big headlines. One, professional technology and design. Arguable. And the one that fit. And then we get a nice little, uh, a little copy paragraph. In comfort every day, period. Modeling, also pursue the most classic design. Meet the comfort while bringing fashion sense. We love life. I actually like that part. That part's nice. <laughs> And the rest is just like how to wash it, but I want to read one just for fun, because it's funny to me. Uh, bleach is the main reason most of the color change. Do not, do not use. It says what it means. Anyway, I was like, okay, maybe, uh, maybe she saw that there was like underpants. I was like, oh, but got to put it away. But uh, guys, this little Ziploc was open. So I got to assume the worst. Let's take it out and take a little peek. Oh, it's very small. Oh, it's quite small. Oh, it's oh, it's very shiny. There is a little dick pocket. Hello, hi. This is where the donger goes. I was gonna put these on in front of people. Should I do it now? How did I know you would curse me so? Yeah, this is a bad look that would not have helped my case. Uh, it's, it's, a real, it's a real huge error, my buds. Uh, guys, in situations like this, I often run through them in my head over and over afterwards to see how could I have handled this better. But this time, it's like, what, how could I even explain it? Like, what would make it better if I was like, oh, miss, <laughs> I, I see the issue here. I see what's going on. Uh, you think that I'm a huge sex pervert. 
but don't worry. I bought these as a joke about diapers. <laughs> okay, I see you're still worried. So let me just reassure you. The joke worked. A bunch of Nazis wore diapers and everyone saw. Anyway, that story doesn't have much to do with current events, but I just wanted to tell it. That's me, you guys. Oh, man. Fun fact, I forgot the fucking underpants when I came and had to have my buddy Damien drive me at top speed to my house and back, at which point I was like a minute before the show began. It was, I think it was worth it. Yeah. So before we get to the op-eds, I would like to bring up for a voicemail op-ed, a real-life call to our fucking representatives, co-producer of The Skewer, Erica Dreisbach. Erica! Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hello. Just figuring out which mic I like better. We're going to call Tammy Duckworth tonight. You guys know Tammy Duckworth? You guys been making your calls to Tammy Duckworth? got about six rings before we get to her voicemail in Springfield. <sighs> Originally, this was going to be about, she um, was on the Senate floor being like, you know, what's the real cost of war with North Korea? And I was like, bitch, I don't want you haggling for some low-cost war. And then it was like, it's the lives. And I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> All right. And now it's a nice little guy from rural Illinois leaving a... You can leave a voicemail, voicemail, leave a message for... Please do so. Please don't leave a message here. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. If you're calling the follow-up of casework? No, not casework. No, not a visit. Here we go. There we go. This is a message for the senator. My name is Erica Dreisbach. I'm a constituent in 60618 in Chicago. I'm in your system. Calling quickly to thank the senator for introducing that bill to stop the president from unilaterally nuclear warring with North Korea. It's nine months late. But you know what? Maybe not too late. And I'm also calling Senator Duckworth to issue a statement now that Press Secretary Huckabee Sanders, she must be fired. There have been many at that podium this year, and she's definitely the best. But that only means that her lies are the most seamless, her trickery the most compelling, and thus that she does this country, and specifically the women of this country, the greatest disservice. Please issue a statement that for misleading the public, Press Secretary Huckabee Sanders must go the way of Christie, Gorka, Bannon, Priebus, and Skaromuash out of the White House and back to the hidey hole whence she came. Thank you so much. Bye. And uh, one quick note, if you are interested in some skewer merchandise, perhaps our best of 2016 skewer book, if you're interested also in joining our hot as hell email list for bonus content you can't get anywhere else, which is usually a photoshopped politician's head much smaller on their body. <laughs> so they look like a little, like, you're only going to get that premium content on our email list. Come stop by, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you once more for Erica Dreisbach and the voicemail I bet. 
Now on to our first op-ed writer of the evening. This writer is an essayist and short fiction writer. She has performed in Cassandra, Potluck, and The Platonic Show. Please welcome to the stage, Melanie O'Brien. So let's start on a low note. (laughs) So the 12th Annual Value Voter Summit took place on October 13th this month and ran for three patriotic days. It draws 2,000 Christian conservatives and evangelical voters annually to Washington, D.C. And for the low, low price of 119 bucks, you too could have heard Phil Robinson talk about how once he got laid to. <laughs> for a mere pittance of 119 bones, you might have observed Steve Bannon and wonder for, for just a second, that if you pulled on the flesh of his jowl in just the right spot, would he fall into a small pile at his own feet? <laughs> you, for, for a scorchingly small amount of 119 greenbacks, could have had access to a complimentary grab bag containing a pamphlet entitled The Health Hazards of Homosexuality. And at long last, for three measly payments of $39 and .66666666667, you might have witnessed Tony Perkins, the president of the Family Research Council, come out before God and 2,000 witnesses wearing a pair of camouflage hip waders (laughs) that I thought was later hosen. Because, really, the Family Research Council is the bell of the summit, categorized, however controversially, by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. It was FRC Action, the council's tax-exempt legislative arm, that began the summit in 2006. And the FRC itself defines its mission as to advance faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture from a Christian worldview. And their golden geese include opposition of abortion, divorce, biotechnology, and stem cell research, and of course, the homosexuality. So allow me to say, because it does impress me, that despite monstrous denominational rifts caused by the whole concept of transubstantiation all towards the Virgin Mary and the legitimacy of the Vatican, there's nothing in the world that heals the rift between evangelicals and Catholics like the mere word homosexuality. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, a le- and I bring up Catholics because I, much like the president, was invited to a small summit in the March of 2017 that took place in a Catholic church in a modest little town whose name rhymes with Ginvernus. <laughs> It was called homosexuality in the Catholic Church, and naturally, as an affirmed homosexual attending a homosexual-sponsored homosexual mass, (laughs) I was invited to take part in this homosexual panel. (laughs) There were a dozen of us homosexuals, and over 50 church congregationists, and they were blocking the exit, so we spoke individually about our experiences with the church in conjunction with our faith and our overpowering homosexuality. (laughs) And after we were done laying bare the trauma and joy of our lives 
and spilling the secrets of our families and spoiling the privacy of our parents, which was everyone else, <laughs> or shelling out crowd-pleasing homophobic aunt jokes out of sheer terror, Ech. <laughs> the secret gay priest moderating the panel opened the audience to Q&A. <laughs> And the first brave congregationist who stood up was this, this lamb of a woman with long brown hair who wrung her, her butter hands <laughs> and asked how we felt about cruelty on social media and how she was so tired of being targeted by bullies on Facebook just because she happened to say on Facebook that she voted for Donald Trump. And that vote doesn't mean she hated us, as she explained very clearly. <laughs> it doesn't mean she hated us or hated anyone. She couldn't bear to be accused of something as low as hatred. She voted for Trump, and she wanted her performative love to be acknowledged, and so she asked us, how do you feel about that? So now this woman could have learned something about the speakers at the 2017 Values Voter Summit, because for as often as religious freedom was the running theme, what went unspoken was every single participant's demonstration of complete freedom from desiring absolution from any minority. <laughs> Overconfidence doesn't fully explain it to me because I believe these individuals at the summit, they already believe they're the great minority of the world, rocked between swathes of homos and abortionists and lily-livered GOP members, the unwhite and the elite rich. Trump, who earned 80% of the evangelical vote, 2% more than Bush won in 2004, he praised the values voters and told them himself that there were no more decent, devoted, or selfless people than our Christian brothers and sisters here in the United States. And so his following hours and dweez became suspect in who they actually included. He spoke of our future and our faith and how, referencing the shooting in Las Vegas, that in one nation we hurt together, we hope together, and heal together. And also that when America is united, no force on earth can break us apart. But when President Trump speaks in this context of the Values Voter Conference, speaking on the back and on the cash of Tony Perkins, this hour is not us, and this we is not all. And this unity is a little club whose access forever is shrinking to the size of, say, a needle's eye. And it's more likely to these 2,000 Christians that a billionaire president will pass through the eye of a needle than one unshaven homosexual woman who has only occasionally posed nude and never for fun. <laughs> will be welcome in their kingdom of America. Continuing in his speech, Donald Trump declared that we are made by the same God in heaven. And by we, he means them. And by God, he means not me. <laughs> but I'm not shocked, really, at all by Trump's willingness to appear before the summit. He is the first sitting president to speak at the event. But he did the same thing in 2015 as a candidate, again in 2016 as a Republican nominee. In fact, on stage this year, he asked if he might be excused from appearing next year as well. So Donald Trump is a changeable man, but he knows what side his Bible is buttered on. Because 80% is 80%. And as a little evangelical reward, he's reinstated the Mexico City policy, which blocks U.S. federal funding for non-government organizations that advocate for or provide abortion information to start. 
He signed his own executive order, the presidential order, promoting free speech and religious liberty to soften the blow of the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits certain nonprofit organizations, churches among them, from, from opposing or endorsing political candidates. And whether or not President Trump considers himself a Christian is not interesting to me, because the danger here lies in his willingness and skill to participate in the charade of conservative cultural Christianity which is a very successful charade that fuels not only presidents, but also pamphlets on how to talk to your children about gay Uncle Mike. What is an actual issue to me is the state of my own Catholicism and homosexuality, because really I can't throw out scripture like Phil Robertson. Going to Mass every week is a graceless struggle where I forget the prayers and refuse to sing. I don't pray in my own home. The power of death is in control of my being where all I can do in the face of a lamb-faced Catholic woman with the nerve to ask a dozen homosexuals to assure her confidence in voting for President Trump is to flop like a fish on the floor for a few months with shame and anger at myself. And that shame and anger, through the mere reality I think of being felt, discredits my position to values voters. Because there's this faultlessness and this effortlessness that the summit and the Family Research Council tries to sell. And it's visible in Laura Ingram's clear complexion and her simple sheath dresses and her perfect little witty quips. And there's a real steadfastness in Phil Robertson's proclamations of faith. He said himself, and simply enough, in a promo for his new YouTube show that was aired during the summit, you can listen to him if you want to hear someone mean what they say and say what they mean. Because faith and righteousness in their eyes is something visible and show-offable, a ball of clay, a personal possession that can be worn smooth by heterosexual marriage, the propagation of children, abstinence until marriage, and a prayer life free of any real conflict. Because my own father in May of 2016, when I came out to him, told me, Melanie, I'm only telling you this, what I'd tell anyone, what I want all my children to do, just make logical decisions in life. He told me this because, like any parent, he wants to save me pain, which, whether he meant to or not, assured me that I had already failed. Because my father, who I love and I respect dearly, he's a Republican politician. In my own home county in Ohio, he actively campaigned for Trump. Unlike Trump, he did not attend the 2015, 16, or 17 Values Voter Summit. And unlike Trump, he didn't wait to love his children until they were adults capable of being business partners. But my dad is also not one of the lily-livered members of the GOP that people at the summit spoke so much about. I doubt even more than one homosexual daughter could ever factor into my dad's voting decisions at all. He could no more have voted for Clinton than a dog could have sprouted wings and flown away. Because my father is that smooth ball of clay while I'm the bits on the ground. But that's how I've made my bed. And a few years ago, when I was struggling with something else, he told me quite fairly I'd made my decision and now I have to live with it. The 2017 Values Voter Summit presents a facade of flawless faith. These people feel they don't have to live with themselves every day. Everyone has their smooth ball of clay to toss. 
Like the woman at the homosexuality panel I attended, everyone could revel in the belief that they, they really, they really loved the sinners, that they were fighting against, that they were true brothers and sisters in Christ to them, because they no, were, they were no better and no worse than we are. When I think privately, they believe they are just a little bit better. But, I mean, better than the woman who gets the abortion, better than the abortionist, better than the biotechnician, the Muslim, the homosexual, the radical leftist. It's those siblings in Christ I feel that they're going for than their own desire to be spiritual mommies and daddies in Christ, benevolent leaders who can show off their huge smooth balls of faith. Tony Perkins saw fit to publish an article on Breitbart the day after his welcome speech at the summit, and he wrote, we've been given an opportunity by God that not every generation has had to turn the nation, to change the trajectory of this country, and revive our republic from spiritual, moral, and economic decay, and the time to act is now. And I feel it's important to listen to this, even if it's put on Breitbart.com, because they're telling you exactly what they want to do and exactly what they want from you. Let's end on a low note. (laughs) This low note was only the middle of Donald Trump's speech at the 2017 Values Voter Conference. How the times have changed, but you know what? Now they're changing back again. Just remember that. (laughs) One more time for Melanie O'Brien. Thank you, Melanie. Oh man, that that truly was a chilling low note to end on. Holy shit. Uh, He really said that. Anyway, for our second op-ed writer of the evening, uh, let's bring up to the stage a skewer favorite, a writer, an improviser. In a ton of shows and troops, I did not know which were still active because the bio I had was like a year old. Uh, Please welcome Sarah Magnuson. This past month, the New York Times and the New Yorker exposed prominent film producer Harvey Weinstein's twisted history of sexual assault, harassment, and rape. Rumors of Weinstein's casting couch reputation widely circulated the film industry for decades, and October saw a surge of women sharing their traumatic experiences with the shamed producer. By the month's end, more than 60 women have come forward with their stories of Weinstein, and even more victims have spoken up about their well-known abusers, including former President George H.W. Bush, and most recently, Kevin Spacey and Andy Dick, and then yesterday, at least last night, Jeremy Piven, and then somebody else today. Do you remember who it is? I can't even remember who it is. Oh, Dustin Hoffman is the one I read. Great. So there were two today. (laughs) Makes sense. 
In mid-October, uh, hashtag movement MeToo spawned thousands of social media posts from victims worldwide recounting their stories. It's been a whirlwind in an already whiplash-inducing news cycle that threatens our mental and emotional health with every refresh. While the rest of us have had to schedule additional therapy sessions and ingest that emergency Xanax you'd save for this Thanksgiving to deal with our PTSD from being inundated on social media with reminders of the violent assault and trauma that aggressors inflict every day, one member of the Harvey Weinstein is over party has been off the radar. And that's Harvey Weinstein. Where's he been? Harvey has been holding up in a rehabilitation center in Arizona. At first, he admitted himself for a week-long sex therapy treatment on an outpatient basis, because that works. This was mocked heavily on social media, and in the wake of continuing allegations, the eruption of his company and his wife's mic drop of a departure from their marriage, Weinstein reportedly has chosen to possibly consider staying in the outpatient program in Arizona for just a few days longer. <laughs> the general consensus of the internet, have you heard of her? is that Weinstein's participation in this program is a meager attempt to salvage what little power he has left in the film industry and serves as a preemptive showing of effort for the juries and judges who undoubtedly will pop up in his future. But I'm going to ask you tonight, what if, and just hear me out, what if Harvey Weinstein's brief stint in rehab, let's call it seven days, what if seven days is actually enough to make a change? I think it is, and I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> First, we need a van. We'll leave Chicago at dawn and drive cross-country. <laughs> we already know where Weinstein is, so at least we have a general sense of the ground to cover. We'll create a distraction. We know how to do this. We watch the president do this every day. A march on the East Coast, perhaps? The feminists are going insane. They want the abortions. They want multiple abortions. They want them all, and they want them bad. Our femme colleagues distract the media with their hats and their signs and their hairy, hairy armpits and their diva cups. And meanwhile, we're tearing through Oklahoma, stopping briefly for barbecue, as one does, and then carrying on the second leg of our journey, destination Weinstein. We cross the border to Arizona. We have a sensible Airbnb reserved through our one liberal aunt's account. Don't tell mom, Aunt Joan. We check in. We crack open the Twist Top $6 bottle of white wine and get to planning. We don our disguises, a small group of sorority sisters, hell-bent on a bachelorette weekend at Daddy's Winter Home in Scottsdale. The van breaks down outside. Oh, no, but wait. A black SUV pulls out from the nearby rehab center gate. It's dusk, and Weinstein's outpatient participation indicates that he may now leave for the evening. He's bopping along in the backseat to Steve Miller Band's The Joker because it's the worst song. And Weinstein, after all, is a flaming sack of shit flesh. He notices the gaggle of the distraught women and has his driver pull over because, of course. Cut to a member of our crew, disguised in her expertly crafted camouflage jumpsuit, hardly detectable in the Arizona dusk, sneaking over to a nearby bush. The air is dry, and so is the earth, and the brush is no match for a literal match. So begins the brush fire. Weinstein smells the smoke and senses the danger. After all, where there's smoke, there's fire. Thank you. His driver steps out of the car to investigate, but it's too late. We've hit him in the face with a baseball bat. You don't have to feel bad about this part, though, because he doesn't have a family, and also he's done many, many bad things to women and to children. We drag his body to the side of the road and plant a lighter and a gas tank on him. 
The fear on Weinstein's eyes is precious. We take a moment to get off on it, metaphorically, of course, and then we knock him in both his kneecaps with that same bat. He tumbles to the ground. Working quickly, we do our best to lift his massive ogre-ass body and dump him into the trunk of the van. One of us uses duct tape to cover his mouth, and you know we've already zip-tied his wrist behind his back. As sirens blare in the background, we escape into the desert night. Weinstein is panicking in the car. Oh, oh, Harvey, what's the matter? We monster boy don't like being put in a dangerous situation and being humiliated by people with less power than you. Oh, does this sound familiar? It does. We pull into an abandoned shed we heard about from a guy one of us used to date who now makes his living off of Bitcoin and selling acid he gets off the dark web. (laughs) There we drag Weinstein, who, by the way, as you can assume, is struggling. We're enjoying this because it's fun to watch him struggle. (laughs) He asks what he wants, but he already knows. Justice. We are about, what we are about to do to Weinstein will never undo the horrors he has unleashed upon countless women, but it will feel very fucking good. And it will rid the world of yet another monster. I step out of the shed because I get a little queasy, so I put on my headphones and I turn on some ASMR to drown out the buzzsaw behind me. My face is illuminated against the now raging wildfire that glows far in the distance, and I listen to a lady whisper in my ears about her makeup routine, and I love the crinkle. We bury his dismembered body in various holes around the shed. We mark his grave with rocks, forming a message that will last for eternity. In a few days, a helicopter will fly overhead in an attempt to put out the surrounding flames. A pilot will barely read out the words, How you like them apples? (laughs) We leave all the evidence behind us, and soon it will be as scorched as the earth, and no trace will be left behind. And as anticipated, our getaway driver pulls up in his truck. It's that Bitcoin guy I mentioned. He's really cool, and he thrives on anarchy, and he hates rapists. We head back to our Airbnb where we kick off our shoes, turn on the TV, and watch our colleagues on the East Coast marching for our fantastic feminist shit. Fox News is not enjoying it, but fuck Fox News. Those ignorant, hateful, rapey fucks. We open another bottle of wine because, duh. Someone puts a Spotify playlist on. We dance around. Remix to Ignition comes on. At first we like it because that's a great song, but then we remember. No. No. R. Kelly is a rapey pedophile fuck. We realize, oh, it's only been four days, and we have three days left of the original seven days that I gave this talk. So actually, we still got some rope and some zip ties left. It's time to get the fuck out of Dodge. So what I'm saying is, is one week enough to make a lasting change? Yeah, I fucking think so. Keep it going for Sarah Magnuson. Sarah, thank you. Of all the hideous men who have been exposed this month, the one whose statement was the most mind-boggling to me was Bush Sr. All the other guys were like, oh, I forgot, or like, oh, I was drunk, or oh, I'm addicted. His was just like, no, you don't understand. I use my wheelchair to make jokes where I fucking assault people. Don't you understand? <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, before, before we move on for the op-eds, I think it's uh, time, to, time to cut, cut the tension, bring the mood up with a nice fun game from Kevin Johnson. <laughs> I'm back. 
gonna need a volunteer. Does anyone wanna? Does anyone? Crowl. Free me from my prison. If I do not get a volunteer, I stay up here. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I took this mic because I was like, I don't know how to figure this shit out. That's good enough. Okay, cool. He is a, he's a very tall man. Anyway, it's for the audio, for the audio, this is, this is a podcast also. Got to make, gotta make sure people know that. Anyway, all right, story one. An elementary school in Mississippi named for Confederate President Jefferson Davis will be renamed for B.B. King. Mm, mm. It, it gets weirder. Story two. Disgruntled ex-contractor accused of emptying bottles of feces-contaminated liquid, or as I like to call it, doo-doo water, <laughs> onto produce at a grocery store. Mm. Ugh. Ugh. Story three. A local D.C. pharmacy reportedly delivers drugs straight to Congress members, including prescriptions for Alzheimer's. That third one, I'm going to say, is definitely true. Uh, Second one, I'm going to say you made that up because there was the Listeria epidemic, and I think that you're basing it on that. No, that actually happened. Oh, God. Oh. Guy just spraying doo-doo water. Oh. Doo-doo water was not part of the headline, but I did add that. Uh, they're actually changing the Mississippi Elementary School from uh, Jefferson Davis to Barack Obama. That makes way more sense. It, it really does. I just wanted to get, like, a southerny sort of dude. But, 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 like, the thing is that I could believe that people would be like, oh, I know, it's I like, don't know, BB King. It's, sure. it's, like, it's like I wrote it though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, all right. Second set of questions. Former member of Blink 182, Tom DeLonge, is crowdsourcing a spaceship. <laughs> it's like oddly specific. You're like, did he make that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, story two. Bill O'Reilly is mad at God for forcing him to sexually harass women. That, I know that happened. That was true. Story three. Yeah. Japanese co- company creates a $130 noise-canceling fork to cover up the sounds of slurping ramen. No, they use chopsticks. That one's fake. Is that that's your answer? Yeah, no, no respectable Japanese person would eat ramen with a fork. That that they actually made that. They made it. Well, okay. I don't fucking know. <laughs> okay. Uh, for the record, the the Blink One Eighty Two spaceship is also true, and he has won an award for UFO Researcher of the Year. I want everyone to know that. Sometimes I just, I like, I put these things in there so I can give you trivia. Uh, So, Bill O'Reilly is mad at God, but not for forcing him to sexually harass women, but not protecting him from the accusations. Uh, He's like, I know I did it. Free will, you know. Cool. All right, set three, set three. A cyclist protested the Trump administration by mooning the presidential motorcade. 
And remember that, like, whatever. Never mind. <laughs> never mind, fuck it. Whatever. Uh, for our safety, scientists want to release cougars into the suburbs. And for the record, I mean the animal cougar. <laughs> That is also true. Acceptable. Uh, story three. Michael Bay is producing a movie about Dora the Explorer. I legitimately have no clue, but I'm going to say number three's fake. No, he's totally fucking doing it. I hope there's like explosions and shit. He's like, swiper, no fucking explosion. He's like, bitch, I don't care. Uh, sorry, right. I did, that was that was that was a well, whole lot. I did not mean to do all that. Okay. I just well, I just got carried away. All right, great. So I'm at zero, and I made racist utensil assumptions. So okay, it's fine. Uh, so it was a cyclist. She just flipped him off. Uh, I went and I went an extra step. Okay. Yeah, how do you get a moon in a bicycle though? <laughs> get off. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta get off, man. Or, like, just stand on the pedal. Actually, do not get off. Do not be publicly horny, ever. (laughs) Or you'll end up in someone's torture porn, dying within a week. There you go. Okay. Well, there you go. Thank you, Carl. Okay, cool. Get yourself some scooter swag. Uh, uh, I also want to give a small shout-out to Ben, Ben and the family. Bringing up some cupcakes for the for everyone to celebrate the second anniversary. So do please come up and get some. And then I'm gonna relinquish the mic back to town. Thank you, Kevin. Again. Not only thank you to Kevin, but also thank you for Cafe Mustache for hosting us for two entire years. Thank you. This place is great. Give them your money. Um, also, if you want to give us your money, in addition to the great merch that Erica spoke of earlier, we also have a donation bucket back there. The money is split evenly among our writers because when we have people on a show, we're like, hey, you're doing us, like, you're making art. Here's some fucking money for it because that's how it should be. Uh, and anyway, on to our next op ed. Our next op-ed reader was going to be Atra Azdu, uh, a first-time skewer writer who has performed on the Paper Machete, understudies at the Second City Touring Company, improvises at I.O. on Lil Tooties, and every Saturday with World News Tonight. Uh, She also stars in the web series Other People's Children and just released the short comedic film Fever. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to be here tonight, so in her place is Melanie Ornery, the owner of Bereavement Services, LLC, with how to make healthy grieving processes unhealthy. Melanie. Thank you very much. I don't know which mic to use. Let's check it out. This is the right one. Here we go. Um, Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. It's a very hard time. It's a very hard time right now, but you extreme leftists, you all knew what you were getting into when you came into Cafe Mustache in Trump's America November 1st, 2017. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm doing it again. I just can't leave work at work, can I? Oh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Melanie Ornery, and I am a beratement counselor uh, at Beratement Services, LLC. I coach those wishing to berate the bereaved during times of tribulation. 
Yep. I help those who only want to help themselves when offering condolences to grief-stricken individuals. Basically, I give awful people things to say just so they can say, Hey, I was there, wasn't I? (laughs) I've helped numerous people use improper funereal filler language at committals they attend solely for their own gain. Some folks that I've helped through their own personal sorrows as they forcibly insert themselves into others' grieving processes uh, include your Aunt Kathleen, who was only at Grandma's funeral to see how many clothes she could poach off the deceased and the living. Your Aunt Kathleen at her friend's neighbor's funeral for the food. Your Aunt Kathleen at the local priest's funeral to gossip and make sure no one's accusing her of murder these days. (laughs) People like Aunt Kathleen are my favorite clients. No sense of shame, no sense of dignity, no sense... (laughs) Most recently, I've acquired a new client who is kind of an Aunt Kathleen, except he happens to be the president of the United States, Comrade Trump. (laughs) The day I met the president... John Kelly had summoned me into the Oval Office when Trump decided he'd call, uh, he'd make a call to Myesha Johnson, recent widow of fallen Gold Star Sergeant LaDavid Johnson. John told me that the president had gone four whole minutes without wedging himself into a situation that he didn't belong, and he was feeling very low. He also told me I was the only counselor who he had called because he had a lot of shit to cover up uh, today, and, well, I'll just have to do. So I rushed to the Oval Office where I saw His Orange Majesty perched atop his royal throne. Yes, in the next room was Donald Trump on a toilet with the door wide open, red-faced from forcing a load that wouldn't yield to his will. This is very much a metaphor for what we're about to do, John Kelly. I said to John Kelly. And he threw up a little bit. The two men's bodily malfunctions were a horrendous sight, but nevertheless, I persisted. (laughs) 200 minutes later, the president, without washing his hands first, returned back to his desk to make the phone call that would change his status as president forever. He wanted to make the call sooner, but he had no reception in the bathroom. Uh, Donald Trump was about to become the first president in the history of the United States to call a fallen soldier's family. (laughs) John Kelly said so himself. And later he did admit to a bit of hyperbole. I mean, he said he couldn't help but lie. What was he supposed to say when Trump looked uh, up at him with his tiny, saggy turtle anus eyes? (laughs) And with a drooly, quivering lip asked if presidents usually make that phone call. So he lied to the kid, all right? He said that no, Obama and Bush never made any phone calls like that to him. And he said it so that Donald would feel better and not make the call. You know, like, no, uh, no, we don't do that. No one's ever done that, really. Like, I've never known anyone to, uh, you don't need to do that. But like Aunt Kathleen doing a flaming baton routine at a first responder's memorial in Santa Rosa this year, the approach backfired. <laughs> Literally, Aunt Kathleen's back caught on fire and two more first responders died at the memorial trying to put her out. <laughs> 
I didn't get what John Kelly was driving at. Why wasn't he cool with Trump making the call? And as we say at my company, Beratement Services LLC, just because it's someone else's last rights doesn't mean you've lost your rights to party. <laughs> now, before we made the phone call, Trump asked uh, Kelly for some words he was offered when he called about his son's passing. And Kelly responded that the most comforting thing was said by his son's fellow soldiers, who said he died doing what he loved. He knew the risk, he knew what he was getting into, and when he died, he was surrounded by the best men on this earth, his friends. Trump clicked, knew what he was getting into, got it, let's do this, hold my phone, I'll get a staffer to push the buttons. <laughs> Trump had an iPhone 5S and it's too big for his hands, so one phone call is oftentimes a three-person job. <laughs> I looked on while Kelly held the phone, Trump barked out the digits, and a tired cleaning lady from across the hallway punched the numbers while repeatedly looking through and over her reading glasses. In that moment, I was taken aback. I asked myself, what am I doing? What am I doing here? I never met a person so advanced at beratement services. He's clearly studied and mastered my business model. Sometimes the best teachings come from your students, I gotta say. Okay, so we get approved to speak with Maisha and the family. We're on hold. Only a few more minutes until he becomes the best president of the world, and all he has to do is talk to this heartbroken widow, and then he can brag all he wants about how he talked to a heartbroken widow. Trump waits on the phone, severely squinting, no doubt wondering if he's got time to cr take another crack at a stillborn dookie before someone comes through to talk. But his face soon relaxes to a slightly less severe squint when we hear the pained family on the other end of the line. We are in. Like Aunt Kathleen, Trump has crawled into his dentist's open casket so he can take a selfie to prove to all his haters that once and for all, he was there. <laughs> Only in Aunt Kathleen's case, it wasn't metaphorical. He mumbled some things. I nodded, encouraging, doing a wafting motion with my hands that somehow means keep going. Uh, he knew what he signed up for, the president said. I gave him wide eyes and a double thumb. <laughs> yes! It was mentioned that he hadn't addressed the deceased by name yet, which, to be honest, avoiding personal things like that gets you great points in beratement counseling. But yeah. it's standard. You get more points if you pretend like you knew it all along and then overuse it to make it seem like they're the crazy ones. <laughs> okay, here's a little tip for you all to try at your next casual funeral. Um, when you're called out on not knowing the fallen's name, deny it fervently and humble brag that you've just had so many other dead people's families to comfort. It's just hard to keep them straight. That's why you've got a cheat sheet, and there's no shame in blatantly admitting that either. Really use the mentioning of your cheat sheet as explicit proof that you, of course, knew a name because it's right in front of you. Duh. <laughs> they can't fight that back. <laughs> Listen, you took the time to have someone put a sheet in front of you and maybe use it as a defense to your benefit. What more do they want? $25,000? Fine. Offer that too, but do not deliver. <laughs> Ugh, I wish Beratement LLC could take full credit for that phone call, but the president disrupted Maisha Johnson's grieving process all on his own. One thing's for certain, he did more than any other president did for John Kelly, according to John Kelly. And let us never forget, Trump has never served in the military. Not his sons, not his daughters, not his wife or parents. None of them have ever been enlisted. Let that sink in, you liberal losers. <laughs> 
To call a military family that's horrifically lost someone without having any references as to what they might be going through is so brave. (laughs) Trump is so brave for his phone calls. At the end of the day, you can just pair it. You know, copy and paste something from a fallen soldier's grieving friends, bastardize it, and half-ass deliver it to someone who's presently mortified and unapologetically keep the attention on you. Then, someday, even you can be president too. And you can take that to the grave. Once again, my business is Beratement Services, LLC. Don't call us, we'll call you, or, you know, we'll just see you around. Thank you very much. Oh, goodness. Thank you to Melanie Ornery and a completely, absolutely disconnected thank you to the absent Atra Azdu. I'm sorry I got the name of the company wrong. I thought it was a typo. Uh, anyway. On any other day, it would have been. Our last op ed writer of the evening. It's a writer who has performed on the legendary Wright Club, the incredible paper Machete, and who is the co- original co-host of the super good pop culture podcast You Don't Understand, <laughs> and probably most importantly, is the co-founder of this show, The Skewer, who has come to Chicago for this night from Detroit, specifically to be here to see his, his baby child's second birthday. Please welcome Eric Ruel! I just need a few seconds to set up. Um, my computer doesn't save documents anymore, so uh, that's a problem. Um, Tom, you said uh, you had what senior seminar class? It was my capstone. Who yeah, was yeah. I don't remember. I blocked it out. Was it <laughs> class? What? Was I in that class with you? Don't think so. Oh, I'm glad. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to know, because uh, my senior capstone was reading James Joyce Ulysses. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a totally different thing. <laughs> it, was, it was not fun. Mine was reading Ghost World. So I went. You do win. <laughs> All right. Good to be back. Um, thanks everybody for coming out. Um, I want to talk today about everyone's second favorite small talk topic sports or elementary schools inferred social caste system. <laughs> you knew back then you were in a bad spot if you were picked last for sides, argued over being added to a team, or were always stuck in the hellish cycle of being the lone goose among many ducks. I was never the one scoring all the points letting the testosterone possess my body like a demon. I have hands barely large enough to palm a grape and was blessed at birth with the body of a papaya. I was always better bound for stage makeup, Sufjan Stevens, and dim lighting. But I remain a huge sports fan. And I want to clarify, though, there's a lot to like about sports um, if you're also a sociopath. Which I don't think I'm quite at that level, but you may know people who enjoy watching other people go through fixed physical pain and stress and then get to complain afterward when that suffering isn't quite up to their standards. Just a little bit more than the rest of us. Donald Trump is definitely a fucking sociopath. And he also doesn't have any pets, you guys. Which is two strikes. 
<laughs> this October, while hockey, football, baseball, and basketball were all in season, Trump aimed his crosshairs at sports, which, on his anger dartboard, was somehow next to North Korea, not having his own Broadway musical, and the McDonald's Szechuan sauce epidemic 2017. While not entirely surprising that issues within sports and politics were debated this past month, letting politicians try to weigh in and take over sports is the kind of reckless disregard that allowed the wave to become institutionalized at every goddamn sporting event. Every time I see someone who gets up to start it, I want to yell, you sit down, sir. I will not have my free will compromised. Sports have always been at the intersection of politics and performance-enhancing drugs. Just ask Ivan Drago from Rocky IV, yeah. Air Bud doping on the sidelines during halftime, or that squirrel who was taught how to water ski by the CIA. <laughs> we may never know the more nefarious purposes that led to this. I joke, but I knew this connection existed between politics and sports very early on through learning about Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson, following the medal counts during the Olympics, and seeing Denzel Washington reframe the hearts and minds of a rural Virginia town and remember the Titans. <laughs> to name a few examples. Those lessons must not have been covered during Trump's how-to-be-human orientation. And instead, he has inserted himself like pennies in your trick-or-treat bag. And my first simile I came up with was an ice pick Lobotomy. Both work for different reasons. It's a choose-your-own-adventure essay. You get the point. In the case of football, to give brief context for those who only come to satirical news shows to get their news, Colin Kaepernick, football quarterback, kneels during the Star-Spangled Banner to protest the mistreatment of black men, women, and children by the police. Now, already, Trump's there, tussling his balls around in his hands while wearing nothing but a velvet-embroidered red robe. Kind of like this, okay? Just need you to get the image... Don't forget that you can see just one of his pepperoni nipples hanging out of the side of his robe. Okay, the other players in the league, seeing Colin, take stances in support or against his actions because, I guess, the Star Spangled Banner is supposed to mean something for veterans. Veterans remain split on the issue. Trump, on the other hand, is sitting on his bed in the East Wing, shouting at Melania to bring him the Miracle Whip. Melania! Bring me the baiting lotion! Still pepperoni nipples off to the side of his... Cafe mustache, curtain, robe. Colin Kaepernick then opts out of his contract at the end of the 16-17 season, but inspires others to continue on in the protest. And at this point, Trump's just going to town on his stump miracle whip dick, shooting off a barrage of tweets, asking for NFL owners to fire players who don't stand for the anthem, and calling them sons of bitches. Now, I know this. The only time you really go after fo football players is when you're trying to give them back their lunch money uh, in advance to thwart off a beating when it's not see seemingly upsetting your base. And again, I'm talking about his penis there. So here we are, uh, life emulating sports. Two sides lined up on opposite ends of a non-issue. A distraction, a game. The kind of game Jigsaw is known for, also a sociopath. <laughs> and speaking of detached, anemic clowns, Vice President Mike Pence. <laughs> on October 8th, NFL players refused to stand for the national anthem, so he walked out with his wife mother. <laughs> a move that made other fans notice a slight uptick in the indoor temperature of the stadium. The charade cost taxpayers around $240,000, which, even if they saw the entire Colts 49ers game, that's a bit extravagant. 
That's like asking Netflix for the part of your subscription feedback that went to House of Cards. We ain't getting that shit back. (laughs) Bob McNair, owner of an NFL team, was also quoted last week talking about banning the anthem protests, saying, we can't have the inmates running the prison. Look, if you haven't invested in fire and pitchforks already, now would be a really good time to call your financial advisor. (laughs) Football has always carried with it a bit of the American spirit, including racism. But like, whereas before sports offered a nice little dash of politics in addition to its escapism, it's gone and dumped the whole salt shaker in, peppered too with blatant and overt racism to taste what was cooking. Turning to the NBA, J.R. Smith of the Cleveland Cavaliers was recently called out by a commentator, Stephen A. Smith, of no relation, for wearing a hoodie during warm-ups because it was interpreted by Stephen A. to be a statement about Trayvon Martin. Meanwhile, J.R. Smith's like, it's just fucking hoodie, man. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, there is still plenty of passive aggressiveness when it comes to making statements, and wouldn't it be nice if protesting was just about throwing on a hoodie and letting it be a day? But when bad takes become the narrative, we focus on hoodies during warm-ups instead of, again, the black men, women, and children who are at the highest risk in our country. It's not all doom and gloom, though. Uh, Football, or American soccer, did provide a sort of masochistic reprieve this October. Because the U.S. men's soccer team lost to the Caribbean nation Trinidad and Tobago, disqualifying us from participating in the 2018 World Cup. This obviously upset the dozens of people who follow soccer. (laughs) And for a moment, it wasn't about politics. It was just about our bad soccer team. But in a way, I had to sort of make it about politics. All of the winning was uh, really getting old. And, you know, when the rich whiny kid gets a kickball hit right in the face, there's just that millisecond of feeling like justice was served. The scales were righted, and goodness can prosper in earnest. Additionally, one can find solace in the baseball story of the Houston Astros making an attempt at their first World Series two months after Hurricane Harvey, as sports teams can really rally around their city. Finally, sports, as I mentioned earlier, have always been a constant in my life, embedded in family traditions and all the while teaching me about distrust, disappointment, and the illegitimacy of dreams. (laughs) Because I grew up as a Detroit sports fan. Detroit, uh, spoiler, is not known for nice things. But this month, a new multi-sport arena opened up downtown, and it houses the Pistons basketball and Red Wings hockey teams, respectively. The $860 million venue is called Little Caesars Arena. And if you're familiar with the product, which I hear some of you are, that's 172 million hot and readies, or about 1,376,000,000 pieces of cardboard and plastic slices of pizza, of which I've consumed about a third of that in my lifetime. So you're welcome, Detroit. Um, you know, in Chicago, I mean, Wrigley is like, what, the third oldest in baseball, and Soldier Field is like the second oldest in the NFL? I miss you so much, Chicago. Just give Detroit this one, okay? <laughs> it's an exciting time to be a sports standard if, you know, you ignore the fact that the public funding they receive for the new arena comes at the expense of the Detroit Public School District, which was due to receive that funding if it wasn't reallocated. Sports and politics are like a couple that tells everybody they've broken up but they're really just hooking up when it's convenient. A sociopath in Ovis who loves sports probably made the call, and as you know, the lives of black men, women, and children were at a loss. And people wonder why we politicize everything. Black Lives Matter. Thank you.
I give it up for Eric Ruel. I don't have any jokes because I don't know about sports. But that was good. <laughs> Before we go on to the debate, I want to give you all one final chance to win a free skewer sticker cash value $1 in the fake news quiz game. Kevin, get off here. That's $1 US, but infinite in your heart. I need you to know that. Sentimental value. Anyway, uh, please. Just... Apparently, your name is Corey. Yes. Okay. I'm Corey. It's for the, it's for the radio listeners at home. Okay. So, I accidentally printed one of these stories twice, so I'm using this phone to get one of my many other stories. Isn't that special? Story one. Runners of a Milwaukee marathon were told that the race was too short, and so it doesn't count. Isn't that a fucking bitch? Anyway, uh, story two. Two weeks after the shooting massacre in Las Vegas, a Republican group in the suburbs decided to use the gun show loophole to temporarily sell firearms from a renovated food truck. Story three. Rick and Morty fanboy, or fuckboy, whatever, uh, trades... His 2004 Volkswagen GTI for one packet of McDonald's Szechuan sauce. I'm going to say it's number three. The Szechuan sauce? Yeah. That happened. Number one? You don't get second chances. What do you you know? No, uh, the, the fake one is the food truck. Uh, So they weren't selling guns from a food truck. They just had a gun giveaway fundraiser. You you, you can't take away the guns because they'll just get more, I guess. Uh, Okay, next story. To combat anti-Semitism, an Italian soccer team read Anne Frank's diary during their matches for an entire week. We've gotten that low. Um, story two, the CEO of Alibaba, which is like Amazon, but based in China, uh, will soon be starring in a martial arts movie. What? <laughs> you want that to be true, don't you? <laughs> uh, story three, a man in Florida, or Florida man, challenged, <laughs> challenged the Thai restaurant to give him food that was really hot. On the receipt... It said spicy 17 times, followed by the words, make him regret being born. <laughs> and then he died. Is that part of you? No. I really want number two to be true. And uh, number three just sounds too ridiculous. So is that your, is that your three, guess? Yeah. He did not die. Right. <laughs> it's, fine. it's a happy ending. <laughs> he, was, he was perfectly fine, and he said that he's actually had hotter food. So... <laughs> I don't know. I guess there's a lot of, you know, whatever. Anyway, next story. Sentient robot and Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg 
uh, took a delightful VR tour of Hurricane Ravage Puerto Rico days after the storm. Um, yeah, just VR tour, you know, why not? When's a better time? Uh, story two, on Manafort Monday, Mueller Monday, Indictment Day, whichever. Uh, that was Ivanka Trump's birthday, and neither her father nor husband really noticed said jack shit on Twitter. Uh, story three, Digital Rain, also, you know, the green vertical text in the Matrix that was originally stolen from the uh, Ghost in the Shell series, is actually just a bunch of sushi recipes. That's that's why I needed that's why I needed my phone. I, I couldn't figure out where I'd fucked up. And you fi- well, now you just know trivia. Yeah. Um, Digital rain. It's all. And uh, Jared Kushner deleted his entire entire Twitter history. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, when he was doing that VR tour, just gave a, a fucking high five with this cartoonish avatar. Uh, so I guess I'll just give that to you. I guess there's a first time for everything, kids. Uh, Tom, introduce the debate. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you to Corey, Carl, and Eric for bravely getting up here and trying to find the fake news. It's impossible. Before we do the debate, I just want to point out that we got this dope book, Skewer Best of 2016 book, the best shit of our first of two years. Uh... I wanted to get Erica Dreisbach onto the stage to read a, a little blurb to entice you, because we got a bunch of these for fucking sale. The real world is hard. It's a tough, brutal place full of big bad daddies and rude, crude dudes. How else do we want our hot, fresh co-eds to learn that truth by coddling them in a safe space? Go fuck yourselves! Wow. <laughs> That's from Stephanie Webiner in a debate about... I don't know what it was about, but somehow it became only about hot co-eds. You'll have to read the book to find out. Uh, I want to talk to you about fuck pasta. But I want to talk to you about more than fuck pasta. I want to talk to you about love. I want to talk about love and food and women and men and more women and different men and fucking and carbohydrates. And if you'll indulge me, I do want to talk a little bit about mayonnaise. (laughs) All of that hilarious shit and more. More than almost 300 pages of hilarious shit. It's actually more like... It's actually 200 pages of hilarious shit. And it's right here for the taking, so come on by. So as described, there is a skewer debate that we're going to close out this show with. Skewer debate, of course, is necessary because there are some news stories every month. You have to hear both sides. One op-ed, one opinion. It's not enough. So let's call our debaters to the stage. Uh, Our first debater, Stephanie Weber, but she got a fever tonight, so... Uh, our next debater is going to be unopposed. Congratulations on your win. She is a Chicago improviser and former speech team participant. 
who is thrilled to be back to debate at the skewer, the feeling is mutual, when not performing with her independent team, the Manson Family Players, Roxanne West is usually screaming. Please welcome Roxanne West. Thank you for being here. You won. You did it. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen that before. Hey, there you go. So, uh, the debate topic, such as it is, is that this month, our senator, minority whip, Dick Durbin, said that to win in 2018, the Democrats cannot get more liberal. Can't. Seems an odd choice. But, you know, he's, he's smart, right? If he's going to say that, he must be, it must be because they have a better plan. So the debate, of course, is what is this better plan? Roxanne, what are you going to be arguing for? Uh, the Democrats are going to make our lives even worse somehow. <laughs> That seems like a winning strategy in 2017. I sure hope so. Uh, Thank Ste- you, Tom. Stephanie was going to argue that uh, the Democrats should spend $10 billion to develop a phone app that just said the word feminism. <laughs> but that, that's not happening. So, Roxanne, your opening statements, if you please. All right. Thank you so much. Goodness. All right. So when I was told that the Democrats' plan for 2018 was to make the world even worse, I was kind of like, huh, the world is already pretty bad. (laughs) Pretty rough right now. Uh, So if they're going to make the world worse place, uh, not through large-scale structural change, then clearly their point of attack is through some real petty shit. Uh, you know, like the things that piss you off but you can't complain about because it'll just look silly and small. Uh, for example, uh, you're on Facebook uh, and you see this kind of shitty guy from middle school post, hey, what are some good open mics? Gonna finally try stand-up like everyone's been bugging me to. Yes, yes. And you lose your goddamn mind. And someone's like, hey, you could end up bad mood all day, what's wrong? And you're like, if Zach S. starts doing stand-up, I'm gonna kill myself. (laughs) And then you have to have a conversation about your feelings with your loved ones. Unlike the good old days where you could just wordlessly post a song on Facebook and let it ride. (laughs) Oh yeah, so stuff like that. Uh, Day one, Democrats are in office. Imagine the stupidest, worst person you know. Bam, they're engaged now. They're blissfully in love. Uh, with the Democrats in charge, you'll spend endless conversations cornered by guys at parties who drone on and on about how American Psycho makes them uncomfortable. But Belita's such a classic, and have you read Infinite Jest? They sure have read Infinite Jest. <laughs> Rahm Emanuel is now the mayor of every city. <laughs> Closing down schools and building up big towers nobody needs so his buddies can get kickbacks. And even better, every time you need to use the train, Rom's there. <laughs> Doing a big old photo shoot to highlight how normal and down to earth he is and making everybody late. <laughs> so when you finally get to work, 22-year-old Brian, who is, you guessed it, your boss, 
goes, hey, huh, your train seems to get delayed a lot. Maybe you should try leaving earlier, as if that's not what you're already doing already, Brian. And then when you go to the bathroom to cry, Rom's like, maybe if you had a more positive attitude, you wouldn't be in this position. And every time you try to respond, Joe Biden blows a freaking vavuzela in your face. You know, the horn. For those of us in retail, the movie Cocktail would be on a mandatory never-ending loop on all of our in-store TVs. So as people make out in a tropical waterfall behind you, you'll be like, yeah, um... The Droid Turbo has a, an amazing battery life. Yeah, for sure. And meanwhile, you can feel your tampon thick with blood yeah. start to leave yeah. your body because yeah. you're on hour 10 of a 14-hour shift alone in the store. And if you were to lock the door during store hours so you can go to the bathroom to change, you'd lose your job. So the best you can do is just wait until the customers can leave so you can cry and cry and cry while Kokomo blasts. Nancy Pelosi will encourage you to have a one-eyed stand with a very handsome man. Like a traditionally handsome person, not like the ones that you're usually like really into and then you show your friends at work a picture and they're like, what? Why? <laughs> like, you have a very fun, sexy time, a genuinely great experience, like a shooting star in the night. Then next night, next day, you find out he's married. So while everyone's trying to have a nice time at brunch, you're having a personal crisis. And Nancy Hawk and all the Bellinis goes, what do you mean you didn't know he was married? Girl, I told you. No, Nancy, you didn't tell me. I would never have done that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I don't know why you're so upset. Maybe if you had a better attitude, things like this wouldn't happen. And then here comes good old Joe Biden with his vavuzela and the one nice meal you're able to have every couple of weeks is ruined. Uh, whenever an next says some crazy lie about you, the Democrats will find a way for you to see it but never be able to respond, which has kind of already happened to me recently. Uh, my favorite lie ever told about me was by this guy I went on a handful of dates with two years ago. He just tweeted, oh, just remember this ex of mine who thinks the best president was Richard Nixon? Huh, some feminist. All right, uh, yes, did I go through a big Watergate phase in middle school? Of course, just like every teen girl. And yes, do I still come home today, cook up a big bunch of pasta, crack open a bottle of red, light a few candles that curl up to frost Nixon? Yeah, fellas, that's how us working women relax. <laughs> Yes, did I tell him about the time, all the times in eighth grade when I would interrupt my history teacher to be like, um, is there a reason we're not talking about Watergate? And he'd be like, because we're talking about the Industrial Revolution. And I'd be like, oh, so we're not allowed to know what's going on in our government? It was 2004. It was not relevant at the time. But I was just trying to rile up my classmates who were just like, oh my god, please just stop talking. We just want to watch Fievel Goes West. And then I turned and I realized Zach S. has written the word dyke in Sharpie over my notebook where I join a bunch of big-eyed anime girls instead of taking notes. Well, joke's on you, Zach S. That was actually a seminal moment in my coming out process. Uh, but at no point in that anecdote am I pro-Richard Nixon. 
Clearly, like any red-blooded young girl on the cusp of womanhood, I was very pro-Bernstein and fairly pro-Woodward. I'm not partial to wasps, but really, what young, naive woman full of hot blood wouldn't be drawn to someone kind and smart and dedicated who fights for truth and justice using their words in a sexy secret? Of course, now as a grown woman who's loved and lost and seen the movie Heartburn, I know that perhaps not even Carl Bernstein is kind. Maybe we're all unknowable monsters. Speaking of which, uh, Facebook will uh, play a huge part in the Democrats' plan, which is interesting because uh, Mark Zuckerberg isn't actually a Democrat, but a gullum. Uh, You know, a creature not of this world that the gods have sculpted out of clay and sent to Earth to teach us mortals a lesson about hubris. So good old Marky Zuck has no political affiliation, but just kind of likes to get us mad, you know? Uh, So when you post a profile picture in the Democrats' world, uh, not even one that's funny or has bits, but just a picture you genuinely think you look nice and no one's going to like it. (laughs) And when you go through your news feed looking for friends and family, you'll just see ad after ad after ad, and then you'll have to look at some dummy you went to high school with who you haven't spoken to once, and their 50-pick minimum couple's pumpkin patch photo shoot that is way too sexual. Every guy is going to get a guitar, regardless of talent or capability, and he will play it for you. Oh, I'm sorry, hold on. That's already happened. Uh, You'll be getting her for a date and feeling good when the original Mayor Daly's going to rise up from the dead, and he's going to crawl through the pipes and pop out of the sink to say, everyone thinks your pubic hair is disgusting. Whatever you're doing, everyone hates it. Everyone hates you. And then he goes off and votes a bunch, I guess. (laughs) Lena Dunham will continue. (laughs) Maybe you love music. You always wanted to be a musician. But you've got bills to pay, and maybe life has dealt you a never-ending stream of bullshit, so you work and you work until you get a steady job in an office and play in a band with your friends when you have time and you're happy, considering... The Democrats give you a free ticket to see a new band's show, and you're excited to go after work. These guys, two years younger than you at least, start singing and playing and talking about how authentic their lives are, touring the country in a van with their friends, playing music, being real, not like some yuppie, and then they look right at you. (laughs) After the show, the guys in the band sidle up to some girl in big glasses. Who gets it? She's never angry. She's always laughing. She's in art school, which is super stressful, because apparently the worst thing that's happened in her life is having her parents pay for her to live her dreams. (laughs) And you're like, I can't believe none of these people have ever had a job. And I don't mean some ice cream parlor summer fun time money job, but a job that keeps the lights on. You can actually feel your life, your dreams pass by. The one currency you have in this world, your youth, is slipping like sand through a clenched fist. And these people who have been given opportunity and education and equipment to tell stories have had no real hardship and so no real story to tell. So you can't even comfort yourself in anything better than mediocre art made by people that get to live your dreams out of pure luck. 
Zach S. gets his own half-hour special. (laughs) Then maybe one day you meet someone, somebody kind and honest, who varies your days and treats you well, and you can't quite believe it, since for the longest time, you've been with people who treated you so shamefully. They get closer and closer, and you start to trust, and they're so affectionate, but they don't really know you. Still, the Democrats whisper, it's time. So you share that part of you, that dark, sad part, that thing in you that people in the past have used as a reason to hurt you, because who else could put up with you? But this person is different, you think? They're going to they're gonna get it. This is who I am. And you tell them, this is, this is me. And they leave immediately. They practically run away, yeah. Maybe they ghost, maybe they tell you some pretty little lie, but you know in three months, they're gonna be head over heels in love with some nice normal person who deserves kindness. And you're not quite sure why they leave. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's because you've listened to Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now on repeat for 45 minutes now while staring out a window that faces a building. Maybe you're like Tom Hanks in Apollo 13 and you got as close to the moon as you're going to get in your lifetime and you should be happy with that. But a tiny voice inside you says, I don't think it's asking for the moon to want to sing my song, to make people laugh, to love, and to give and receive some amount of kindness in the life I've got left and I don't know why this world makes that so impossible. And the Democrats say, it's not the world. It's you. You're just bad. Um, Also, uh, Chuck Schumer's going to make bread really stale. I don't don't know how. I asked, and Chuck was like, it's all in the card, and I swear to God, it just says Chuck Schumer dash stale bread. So I was like, I'll fit it in somewhere, but then he insisted that I end on it. And I'm like, I don't know, Senator. I feel like we were really building up to how even these small things can bring out existential angst. And everyone was like, no, no, you gotta end on the bread. You gotta end on the bread thing. So, you know, on top of leading an unfulfilling life, one where you are unloved, unwept, unsung, you're also gonna eat a bunch of nasty-ass bread. So buckle up. Thank you. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Uh, since Stephanie's not here, um, I'll just deliver the best one I can on her topic. Uh, you know, apps? There's a, there sure are a lot of them. What if they made another one and it was bad? You remember Verit? Verit was bad. It'd be like Verit. Anyway... Just gotta have some semblance of competition, you know? Uh, anyway, this is the question and answer part of the debate. I'm gonna ask you questions. You've not been provided with these questions before. Um, Roxanne, you're an improviser, yeah? Yes. D- do you mind also answering the questions that I prepared for Stephanie, even though you've like literally not thought about her topic at all? Honestly, I love a challenge. Fuck uh, yeah. And but- also attention, so. Perfect. 
the last six, this is for you, this is a you question. Starting Perfect. off with the easy, not, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. The last successful major Democratic campaign was Obama's, where he had that iconic one word slogan thing, he, you know, hope, change. What are some bold, iconic slogans that Democrats can use in this campaign and how will they galvanize voters? Oh, easy. Top of mind, uh, one campaign that goes, nobody really likes you. <laughs> or uh, vote Democrat, because why not, you guys? You kind of suck. <laughs> I mean, just a couple of spitfire. That, that one was basically real. Remember, <laughs> Remember yeah. when they said, like, have you seen the other guys? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> when you're on a date and they're like, man, you could be with someone who's a literal murderer. Or also me, who sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you prefer a person who just sucks? That's the Democrats. Yeah. Oh, God. This isn't a question I just wanted to say this. You brought up fucking Zuck. And I, man, <laughs> I, like pretty much 99% of my Facebook fucking career is promoting shit. And Zuck, this motherfucker, th he's doing his algorithm so that the only way anyone sees it is if I'm, like, insanely vague and, like, never say the name of anything. Like, hey, my show is at a place tonight. Look at the comment. And if I say the skewer, it'll be like, fuck you, to, to jail, idiot. Anyway. A question for Stephanie. Ready. Some naysayers, some, some Bernie bros, no doubt, are going to say that the $10 billion budget on this app is too high. It's bullshit. What are some of the huge problems that would no doubt plague the app, which, again, just says the word feminism? What are some of the problems that it would have if we didn't spend so much money on it? Uh, honestly, if we didn't spend so much on it, people would get really upset about how much it talks about feminism. <laughs> you know, how do we know if something's important unless we spend at least $10 billion on it? Right? Thank you. That makes sense. A question for you. Real you. Me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Millennials are already used to a terrible life. It's old hat to us. How will the Dems make it exciting for the youth who have, who have lived this since birth? Uh, thank you, Tom. I think I touched about this in my opening statement, and that they're going to utilize social media to really uh, get into people's heads that they don't matter. They're going to die alone, and no one is ever going to love them. Thank you. That'll do. Another, another question just for Thanks. you. Um, <laughs> you said that Zuck was a golem? Yeah. Um, he is. Yo, I'm gonna slide. I'm gonna slide this this theory on over to you. Tell me your take. Okay. What if he's not a golem, but a homunculus? Ooh. Ooh. He's ve he's very like hairless and the same color. That, that's true. But so is a creature made out of clay. I know. Honestly, is, at the end of the day. A, a gullum, a homunculus He's been sent here to teach us a lesson <laughs> He's been sent here to Read us our rights About how we've flown too far at the sun And god darn it, we're gonna go drown So, <laughs> that's all Mark is up for you Okay, that'll do <laughs> A question for Stephanie But, it, but it's for you Hell Incredible yeah. What? 
once the election comes, and it actually arrives, it's here, 2018 elections today, this app is going to need a version 2.0 to stay fresh. So what new feature are they going to add to the app to, to really jazz it? Ooh, they're going to add an exclamation point to the end of feminism. Yeah. Yes. And if you uh, buy the app for three ninety nine, Lena Dunham will read it out loud to you. <laughs> uh, and a question for you both, you and also you. All right. Why are the Democrats like this? Oh. Um, I'd have to say, Tom, as me, Roxanne, that there is no God. <laughs> And the people that say they're here to help us are actually to bring us deeper into hell. Thank you. Um, uh, as me, as Stephanie, I'm going to actually have to agree with my opponent, Roxanne. <laughs> That's really big of Stephanie to do. She's honestly, I was so looking forward to debate with her because she's such a great person. She really is. Like, she holy is. shit. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. She was very ill today. She couldn't be here. She regrets it very much. For the podcast, let's all say feel better, Stephanie. Feel better, Stephanie! She's probably not going to listen, but if she does, that'll be great! Uh, okay, uh, well now, you know, who knows who's going to win this debate? Why don't you really close it out with a, with a, with a killer closer, Roxanne? Alright, I'm really nervous. Alright. So... Um, after meeting with the DNC... Uh, during my opponent's statements uh, just now, I realized that my tone earlier while discussing Senator Schumer's bread plan was inappropriate, disrespectful, and I am truly sorry. Um, they're actually right back there. Uh, and Nancy was like, Chuck's really upset. And I was like, oh, God, damn. And so I went into his office, and he was just like leaning over, hands on his desk, back to me, and I try to be like, Senator Schumer, I'm so sorry if I upset you, but to be honest, I really don't understand how bread becoming stale fits into the rest of the plan, and even how if I can't control the guns, as God is my witness, I'm going to control some freaking bread. <laughs> then he turned and he spat in my mouth. <laughs> Before he could, I could say anything, he goes, hey, here's a tip. And he flicked a nickel at me that he apparently had the whole time in his clenched fist. He goes, hey, here's a tip. Keep your mouth closed when you're not talking. You look like a fish. <laughs> so while I don't know, I don't think I'll ever know if the tip he was referring to was his advice about my mouth or the nickel he threw at my head. <laughs> I am so grateful for Senator Schumer's insight as well as your time here today. And again, I am truly sorry. Thank you. Uh, in the closing statement for the other side, so again, the Democrats can they talk about feminism, but they never do any feminist policies. That's pretty, that's pretty bad. Anyway, that's my closer. <laughs> so it's time to decide who's the victor and who's going to get our special trophy, the skewer. Just kidding, we forgot one. We just have a fork. This, this is the trophy. 
We forgot. We forgot to bring a skewer. So, oops. Um, so if you, you usually in these uh, debates, when when people cheer to decide the winner, I, I, I like to make sh- sure that even the person you think didn't win, you should give them some applause. Don't do that. Don't even fucking humor the shit I did. Who thinks that uh, I fucking winging some shit was the winner? What did I fucking say? Unacceptable. Yeah, that's, the, that's how you do it. Who among you believes that Roxanne was the winner? That's pretty definitive. Roxanne, you won this delightful fork. Honored to put this on my bulletin board of precious memories. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm much. not joking. It's going there. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was great. Come on, I'm saying again. Let's keep it up. <laughs> I believe at this moment, Erica, are you about to light a delightful birthday candle for the skewer? Good enough. Before we like do, do the, well, the, the distinguishing. Yo, that sounds good as hell. Let's hear some toasts from the fucking or- original founder and producer, of the skewer Eric yeah. Noel. Yeah. What do you got to say, Eric? Well, Tom, Tom, you're gonna need to come over here. It, oh. it means more you being close to me. <laughs> of course. When two well-mannered, consenting artists love each other very, very much... Man, this is way better than I expected. And after about five years of being friends together, they sometimes decide to add another charm into their lives. They create a show. The Skewer. You were conceived over three months of a lot of really deliberate effort. From, From the DePaul Loop campus to multiple Starbucks across Chicago and our private residences... You took this form that would lead you on to such positive growth and change. I guess you could say our baby shower took place at the Harold Washington Library in August of 2015. We tested a few things out there and learned kind of what it meant to be good stewards of this new gift, our show. A few months later, we found our primary home here at Cafe Mustache. We absolutely love it here and really want to thank Ralph and his staff for accommodating us month to month since November 4th, 2015. <laughs> This isn't to say that the road was always smooth. Tom and I fought like all great couples do. Fuck you, no we didn't. <laughs> but it was always about the important stuff, like what's the order we're gonna, you know, switch off hosting and writing? Or like, do we just tell the writers nobody donated and keep all the money? Or... Uh, our sweet banter, right Tommy? Yeah, oh gosh, Eric, it's, you're bringing it all back. The credit for raising the skewer up should really go to those all here in the audience as well. Those listening to the podcasts and our writers, when asked about you, Skewer, I am the most proud that we were able to give back money to our writers, even in the tiniest ways that we can, because so much of what we do in life is thankless. But we all value all of the contributions. The work that's been produced here has been of the finest of qualities. Even while not always hitting all of the right punchlines, it all has come from the heart. I always hit the right punchlines. That's right. <laughs> Lastly, I just want to thank Erica for all that she's brought into the fold and the table. Uh, sincerely has crushed it. 
While I remain a distant supporter and partner in this polyamorous affair, I hope the two of you see nothing but success for our beloved Skewer. I know you'll do great things because you already have. Happy birthday, Skewer. for being so nice Eric because I sincerely always feel a little threatened when you're around <laughs> I'm always like hey Tom hey Tom I'm I'm your favorite though right I'm the one because I'm here now right Tom where's Eric he's in Detroit I'm here I'm gonna read a toast now before you can run you must walk and before you can walk you must crawl and before you can crawl you must hold your head up unsupported the skewer I knew you when you were just an amorphous collection of cells and potential, a soft thing that could not hold its head up unsupported. And now look at you, a book, a hundred hours of podcast, nearly 100 performers, right? What, like four, four times 24? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sometimes five. The brightest and funniest comedians, storytellers, and writers in this city, and still so very soft. The softest boys. More than that skewer you've anchored this year for me. Every month, no matter what crazy, nut-crushing nastiness the world offered, I knew there would be this good, good show. Even um, booking shows for next year, and every time I'd tell a writer, hey, great, we'll follow up closer to the show in 2018, a little part of me says, yeah. Yeah, there will be a 2018. Yeah! And there will be a skewer. And we will be here. And we will laugh. Happy birthday, skewer. I'm the only producer who's been on all these goddamn things. No, I don't mean to start off so, so crude and rude. Uh, the skewer is honestly one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. It is fucking the best. And every month I'm blown away that people who are way funnier and better and smarter than me come on the show and say things. And I love it. And I'm glad to let you stand on the stage and do it. Not that there's a shortage of them in Chicago, but still. Uh, and two years, holy shit. Who knows how much longer the skewer is going to go. We have plans to go indefinitely, but I am often tired. <laughs> But I like to imagine the skewer one day as a surly teen telling me, like, Dad, you're not a real Antifa. And I'm like, bitch, how dare you? I'll go punch a Nazi right now, young... I don't want to gender the skewer. Um, and then, like, I'm like, hey, the skewer, going out wearing that? And I'll be like, stop, you're being sex negative, Dad. And I'll be like, oh, no, I am being sex negative. Uh... All of which is to say, thank you all for being here. Happy birthday, Skewer. That's all, you guys. See you next time. Stop by and pick up some merch as well. Sign up for our email list. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. If you can't make it, 
you can also uh, review us on iTunes or subscribe to the podcast on really what whatever podcast uh, getting app you you most like. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at lskewer, and uh, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail dot com. That's uh, you know if you want like more information about the show or something, or if you want to like pitch yourself as a writer. We're always looking for new people, and we love showcasing new new faces and new voices in the scene. So give us a fucking jingle. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I've been Tom Harrison, and until next month, see ya.